Thank you so much, praise team, and thank you, Julie, for that very heartfelt prayer. I'm very just blessed to be led by all of you into the Lord's presence this morning. Uh, perhaps you have seen uh, a billboard in town put up by a local church that reads this way, God loves everyone, no exceptions. Now, at first glance, when we see a billboard like this, we would say, well, what a great truth. How positive this is. Who could possibly object to this statement? But I want to ask you a question this morning. Is there a potential problem with this statement? Well, yes, there is. Uh, the church behind it has accepted and is promoting the numerality. And so what they mean by this statement is that God accepts and even affirms everyone regardless of their sexuality. But that's not true, is it? It is not true. Yes, God is a God of love who loves everyone, and all God's people said. But God is also a God of truth and righteousness who will judge unrepentant sinners, and all God's people said. It's a little harder to affirm, isn't it? It's a little more difficult. See, this billboard is not the whole truth. It's only half the truth. Uh, do you know what a half-truth is? Half-truth is a whole lie. That's what it is. Because it does not give the whole picture. This is why error and false teaching are so dangerous, because the deception is camouflaged. It's couched in words and images that seem good to the naive, the unsuspecting, and the gullible, but behind it is a tremendous, tremendous error, and it is not the truth that instead will leave all who believe it to eternal destruction. Now that's why Jesus, as he concludes his Sermon on the Mount, urges every single one of us to examine very carefully our relationship with him. A couple of weeks ago, as we began to look at Jesus' conclusion, we saw that what he does is he gives to us three tests by which we can examine our relationship with him. The first one is the test of the two ways. And we saw that Jesus said, we must ask this question, am I on the narrow way? The third test is the test of two foundations. And Jesus says, we must ask, am I doing the Father's will? And now this morning, I want us to look at the second test. It is the test of the two trees. And here Jesus says, we must ask this question, am I following the true teaching? This morning, I want us to take our Bibles and I want us to turn to Matthew chapter 7 as we look together at what Jesus warns us about false teachers. You would open your Bibles there and look with me at verses 15 through 20. A couple of weeks ago, I asked you to pray for me as I prepared to preach on these three tests because 
These are difficult messages to bring. But anyone who is faithful to Jesus and his teaching must indeed bring these messages. And so listen to what our Savior says. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Now, what Jesus is doing here is he is giving us the characteristics of false teachers and how penetrating his words are for us. Let's take a moment, shall we, and pray and just ask the Lord to give us his wisdom as we learn together. Would you bow with me? Gracious Savior, thank you for the wonderful Savior that you are. Thank you for your immeasurable love and grace and mercy. Thank you for your patience with every single man, woman, boy, and girl. But Savior, thank you that you are also the Lord of the truth. You said, I am the truth. And thank you that you have given us not only the easy part of the Christian life, but you have given us the warnings because you know how real they are and you know the destruction that awaits those who would turn from the truth and teach the truth. And so guide us today. Help us, Lord, to follow after your perfect word. May we believe it, affirm it, find safety in it, and Lord, in this day of error and deception, may you give to us discerning hearts. For Jesus' sake, amen. First characteristic that Jesus gives us of false teachers is false teachers destroy and deceive. Now in verse 15, he says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly, they are ferocious wolves. Now, these two metaphors, sheep and wolves, would have been powerful metaphors to a rural and agrarian culture. Uh, the Bible describes Christians as sheep, and what that speaks to is our vulnerability. Uh, sheep are probably the most docile, unsuspecting animals that there are. The, the saying, like sheep led to slaughter really says it all, they are so trusting and they are so naive that even when they're being led to the slaughterhouse, they will put up no resistance. Wolves, on the other hand, are ferocious and they are ravenous. They are the legendary enemies of sheep. A number of years ago... Um, uh, my car broke down on M72 uh, out in the middle of nowhere in southern Michigan. And a man who lived quite a ways off the highway, right on the edge of the road, uh, uh, came to my aid, and he helped me for several hours while my car was broke down. 
In the course of the conversation, he said, one day um, I let out my dog. It was a very large dog. Uh, may have even been a German shepherd. And he said, the dog went in the woods and it never came back. And so he finally went out and searched for that dog. He found it. He found it was dead and its head was crushed in. He said it had encountered a wolf. And he said the jaws of that wolf were so powerful that it took that dog, that large dog, and crushed its skull to death. That's how strong and powerful that wolf was. Now that's the point that Jesus wants us to understand. What a wolf is to sheep in that image that I have just described. So false teachers are to Christians. They are dangerous and they are very, very destructive. And Jesus tells us here in verse 15, the reason they are so dangerous is because they hide their false teaching. You see, a wolf in sheep's clothing is completely deceptive. It appears uh, totally harmless and even helpful. It blends in very much like one of the sheep instead of being the sheep's greatest enemy. And so a wolf in sheep's clothing talks the language of the sheep, shows concern for the sheep, smiles nicely at the sheep, and appears very, very caring. Let me read for you a description from Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who for many years was the pastor of Westminster Chapel in London. Listen to how he describes this image of the false teacher. Listen to these very, very penetrating words. The false prophet has nothing which is so offensive, uh, which is offensive to the natural man. He pleases all. He is in sheep's clothing. So pleasant, so nice to look at. He has such a nice and comfortable and comforting message. He pleases everybody and everybody speaks well of him. He is never persecuted for his preaching. He is never criticized severely. He's praised by the liberals and the evangelicals. He's praised by everybody. He's all things to all people in that sense There is no small gate about him, no narrow way in his message. There's none of the offense of the cross. Now that is a perfect description of what Jesus is describing. And it is why the false teacher is so hard to recognize, and even when we do recognize him, so hard for us to turn away from. This morning, I want to bring this right down to where we live. And I want to put an image on the screen this morning, and I want to ask you a simple question. Who are these two people that are touring our country together? Let me bring them up on the screen this morning. You know the lady immediately. That's Oprah. I say to you, I have no desire to knock her personally. She's a nice lady. As far as we can tell, she is very concerned about people. 
But it is very well known that she rejected the faith that she was raised on many, many years ago. In fact, she has openly mocked a pastor that she heard in her 20s who preached that God is a jealous God. She said that was one of the most ridiculous things that she had ever heard, and that was an aha moment for her that was part of her turning from the Christian faith that she had been raised in. By the way, let me say this morning, I am glad God is a jealous God. Because that means he loves me and he wants me for his own possession. I'm grateful for that. But I'm not so much concerned this morning about Oprah, but it's the other person. Do you know this man? Let me tell you a little bit about him. He pastored the largest evangelical church in Michigan in Grand Rapids. He was an up-and-coming superstar evangelical pastor. But he began to author books in which he said the Bible is not completely clear on doctrinal matters. One book that he authored implies universalism, which means that God will not really judge anyone in the end, but most people, in fact the vast majority, will be saved no matter what they believe. Recently, after leaving that church, he has now endorsed homosexual marriage. And I ask you this morning, do you know who he is? That is Rob Bell. That's who he is. I hesitated for quite a while this week before I put this picture up. And after wrestling with it, I decided I would for several reasons. Number one, they have been on a public tour and are seeking promotion. So this is no secret. In fact, they want attention to be drawn to this tour. And images like this one can be found all over the Internet. Secondly, uh, one day my neighbor a wife and mother of uh, several small children, waved me down outside of my home. And she said, could I uh, ask you something? And I said, sure. She said, I attend a woman's Bible study here in Marquette. Recently I learned that they are planning to study the book Velvet Elvis by Rob Bell. She said to me, what do you think I should do? I have now seen two bumper stickers on cars in Marquette promoting the universalism that Rob Bell has taught. And the false teaching that he has promoted is now having an influence right here in Marquette. Third reason I decided to put this image up is very sadly it perfectly illustrates this very hard truth that Jesus is teaching us. As you look at this image, you see why it is so very, very difficult to resist false teachers. Don't you want to reach out and embrace people that look this nice and appealing? Look how harmless this looks. Who could object to such a smiling, nice guy? 
Who could say that such a likable, uplifting, religious man who is touring the country is, uh, and talking about God is a wolf? And yet, it is exactly the point that Jesus is making. You see, false teachers are, are so destructive because they are so deceptive. Jesus is very, very helpful for us here this morning. In this passage that I've read, he tells us that there is a second characteristic of false teachers. And oh, how helpful this is. That characteristic is their fruit is what gives them away. Now, I want you to look with me again at verses 16 to 20 very, very carefully because... Our Lord is such a wonderful teacher for us. Listen again to what God's Word says. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit And a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. The very first thing that strikes us in what Jesus is teaching here is that he uses a figure of speech that is called an inclusion. An inclusion is a section of verses that are bracketed by an identical statement. Uh, Look at verse 16, the opening statement. By their fruit you will recognize them. Then look at the end of the bracket, verse 20. Thus by their fruit you will recognize them. That is an inclusion. Now here's what this bracket does. It calls attention to the fact that this is a unit with a very clear main point. And the main point that Jesus is making is that fruit or the product or produce of false teachers is always the key to detecting them. It will always give them away. In fact, what Jesus does is he takes this inclusion and he unpacks it with three very clear applications. And I want to give them to you this morning because they are so critical for us in our day. Here's the first one. Jesus says fruit eventually reveals the tree. In verses 16 and 17, he mentions two different trees, thorn bushes, and fig trees. Let me bring a couple of those up uh, before you this morning, and let me ask you, what do you notice? Well, from a distance, you notice the fig tree and the buckthorn are almost identical. In fact, this week I asked uh, three folks from Bethel Which one is which? Only one of the three got it right. The other two were wrong. The fig tree is on your left. The buckthorn is on your right. 
And here's the amazing thing. You can be fooled from a distance because they look so identical, but the closer you get, the more you will recognize there are thorns that are growing on the branches of the buckthorn. Far away? Can't tell. Get close? Very, very easy to tell. Here's a second application of this inclusion that Jesus makes. He tells us that fruit is an infallible test. It has an infallible test. Look at verse 18. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Now, a couple things we need to see about this verse. If we could look at the Greek text of the New Testament, we would discover that the word cannot is placed first by Jesus in the sentence. The reason that is placed first is to emphasize that no other result is possible. Jesus is saying this is an infallible truth that cannot be denied. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. The positive and negative that Jesus uses there is a Semitic expression found many times in the Hebrew Old Testament that is an expression for certainty so that Jesus is saying, mark it down, trees bear only one kind of fruit. Do you know what happened if you ate the buckthorn fruit today? You would find that the buckthorn fruit is edible fruit. But it is so bitter and sour that you could not eat that fruit without some other fruit with it to sweeten it. Now I asked the same three people this week, which are the buckthorn berries? Which are the grapes? Can you tell the difference? All three got it wrong. All three. The buckthorn berries are on your left. The grapes are on your right. And if you tried the buckthorn berries, here's what would happen. You would get a very sour look. on your face. From a distance, they look very much alike. But the test of tasting is an infallible test. Now here's what Jesus is saying to us, and he's making this very, very clear. There are two sour fruits that will always unmask a smiling, handsome, false teacher. Those two sour fruits are bad character and bad doctrine. Whenever you see those two things after watching a teacher up close for a long time, you will know infallibly, invariably, they are a false teacher. Let me ask you for just a moment to go back with me to the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. If you would, turn with me there for just a moment. 
And let's look again at verses 3 through 12 in Matthew chapter 5. What the Beatitudes do is they lay out the character of a Christ follower. The reason the Beatitudes come first in the Sermon on the Mount is because character always comes first. As we follow Christ, what we are will eventually lead to what we do so that anyone who claims to be a teacher or a leader must and should manifest this fruit in his life. Now let's just quickly review the character that Jesus says is a foolproof test for the kind of person who is a true teacher. Look at verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's a person who has been humbled before God. Look at verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn. That's the person who is repentant when they sin before God. Look at verse 5. Blessed are the meek. Meek people are those who have submitted to God, therefore they do not use their power to abuse others or for their own selfish purposes. Look down at verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's the person who has a passion for that which is right in the eyes of God and the eyes of people. Look at verse 7. Blessed are the merciful. That's the person who is compassionate when people fail and sin and want to be brought back on the narrow way. And then look at verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart. Those are the people that desire to live a clean life before God and before people. Then look at verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers. These are the folks that do not want to divide God's people over their own opinions or the things that they want to see happen, but are committed to the unity of the people of God under the leadership of God. And then notice the last one, verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. That's the person who is so committed to the truth, they are willing to suffer for the truth rather than to compromise that truth. Now here's what Jesus is saying. Anyone who exhibits this kind of character, we may safely follow. We may safely follow anyone who demonstrates this type of inner life. And the reason is simple. These beatitudes are only the result of the grace of God and salvation in a person's heart They can only come from the working of the Holy Spirit. They simply cannot be produced by a person's entire own effort. You can't put all of these together in a life and fool a person that you are really following Christ. And so Jesus is saying to us, wherever you have somebody who manifests this kind of character you may safely follow that person. By the way, could I say this morning, anyone who aspires to church leadership should want to be held to this standard for the safety of the church. This morning, as your pastor, my life should be an open book before you. 
And you should be able to come to these Beatitudes and look at my life measured up next to what Jesus says is the character of his followers. And though I will not follow these perfectly, no one can, you ought to be able to see in my life that I am growing in these areas. And if I want our church to be safe, I would want you to examine me in these ways. And every church leader should want the same standard. Now the second sour fruit we much wash for is bad doctrine. Bad doctrine. False teachers will always be known by bad doctrine, and the Bible teaches us that what we believe eventually will be the way that we will live, and bad doctrine will ultimately destroy. This past week, as I was studying and preparing for this message, I came across four doctrinal tests for false prophets from one of my favorite pastors, R. Kent Hughes, who used to pastor Wheaton College Avenue Church in Wheaton, Illinois. And let me put up before you this morning on the screen four doctrinal tests that he says are the key to discerning every false teacher. Here they are. False prophets avoid preaching on the holiness, righteousness, justice, and wrath of God. Never forget a pastor who had a very prominent radio television ministry here in our country. Someone wrote to him and said, uh, why is it that you never preach on sin in your program? And this is what he said. He said, I'm trying to attract people, not drive them away. And so no preaching on holiness, righteousness, justice, or the wrath of God. A second thing false prophets do is they avoid preaching on the doctrine of final judgment. Do you know the Seventh-day Adventists and the cults deny that judgment is eternal? They believe that ultimately the wicked are going to be annihilated. They do not believe in endless torment in a place of judgment that the Bible calls hell. And the reason they deny that is because it's so much more palatable to people who don't want to face the issue of God's eternal and final judgment. A third thing that false prophets do is they fail to emphasize the fallenness and depravity of mankind. Many years ago, Norman Vincent Peale, who was one of the most famous preachers in all of America, made this statement. He said, Jesus never called people sinners. Can you imagine that? From one of America's leading preachers. And then finally, number four, false prophets de-emphasize the substitutionary death and atonement of Christ. Now, by the way, do you notice how number three and number four go very clearly together? See, if a person de-emphasizes the fallenness and depravity of mankind, that we're not sinners, we're basically pretty good people, then there's no need for a savior, there's no need for a substitute, there's no need for a sacrifice to shed his blood. So that number three and number four go together, if you de-emphasize one, 
you will de-emphasize the other. Do you know, just a couple of months ago, at one of our most prominent downtown churches, one of the most notorious false teachers in all of the country spoke at a 7 o'clock service in that church. The title of the message was listed in the paper, and here's the title of the message. The meaning of the cross, Jesus did not die for your sins. One of the most beautiful edifices in downtown Marquette, a church that has been there for years, the title of the message, the meaning of the cross, Jesus did not die for your sins. I say to you this morning in a Christ-centered church, much is made of the cross and the way of salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ. You can always distinguish the true teacher from the false because in a Christ-centered church, much is made of the cross and the way of salvation through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus gives to us a third and final application of this inclusion. Let me share it with you this morning again. Thirdly, fruit determines destiny. Mark this down, says our Lord. This is absolutely true. You can bank on it. Fruit will always determine destiny. Look at verse 19. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Now, this is the fifth time Jesus has referred to eternal judgment in the Sermon on the Mount. Imagine two and a half chapters and five times he has referred to eternal judgment. I want you to notice a very interesting detail here. Notice here, it is not the judgment for teaching the wrong, but not teaching the right. Did you notice that? Every tree that does not bear good fruit, and that includes the teaching, the good teaching, is cut down and thrown into the fire. Did you notice what Jesus is saying then? False teachers and those who follow them will be judged for omitting the truth Uh, So what Jesus is saying is they will be judged not only for sins of commission, teaching the wrong thing, but they will also be judged for sins of omission, not teaching the right thing. One of the great sad things in so many pulpits today is not simply that the wrong things are being taught, but what is even more deceptive, the right things. Things are not being taught. Let me ask you this morning as I put this on the screen. Who do you think may have preached this in a sermon not long ago in one of our American pulpits? 
you will hardly believe that this could have been preached in a church where the Bible is held up. Let me share it with you. And you think, who could have said this? When you come to church, when you worship Him, you're not doing it for God, really. You're doing it for yourself. Because that's what makes God happy. First of all, are you not shocked that this could be preached in an American church in America? Talk about upside down. That worship is not ultimately about God and us being happy in Him. It's about us and God being happy in us. That that worship is about us not about Him. How could anyone who claims to be a teacher of the Bible teach such a converted and upside-down truth? Let me give you now the person. That was preached by Victoria Osteen, co-pastor with Joel Osteen, of Lakewood Church in Houston. It is the largest church in America. 43,500 people gather every Sunday. And this is typical of the me-centered religion that is preached in that church every Sunday. And as sad as this is, Greater by far is 43,500 people are not being told the truth every week. Oh, may God help us to watch out for false teachers. Oh, may God help us to watch out for false teachers. Jesus says, this is how you will know them. Fruit eventually reveals the tree. Get close and you'll see the thorns. Fruit is an infallible test where there is bad character and bad doctrine. There is falseness. And fruit determines destiny. Fruit determines destiny. This morning I'm so grateful for our Savior. We live in very deceptive times. There is such a great need for discernment, for error is all around us. And Christ so infallibly leads us. Let's bow our heads and our hearts together for just a moment. If you prayed for me for this sermon this morning, I'm grateful. I must be very honest and tell you that 
It's a difficult thing to expose popular people who are teaching error. And it's not been hard, not been easy for me to do that this week. And if you prayed for me, I'm so grateful that you did. This morning, as we bow in prayer, I want to thank you as a church. People will often come to me and say, Pastor, thank you for teaching the whole counsel of God. Thank you, Pastor, for teaching the hard things as well as the easy things. Thank you for not holding back. Thank you for speaking the word of God plainly and in truth. And my response is always the same. I always say thank you for being a church that wants that. Thank you that when I stand here in the pulpit, I don't have to wonder, do I have an audience that will be offended if I speak things that rub the wrong way or cut like a knife? But thank you, God, for a church that wants the truth in its pleasantness and when it is difficult. And I pray that Bethel will always be that kind of a church for the safety of our eternal souls. Lord God, we come to you this morning and we're so thankful that Jesus is so incisive. He understands how vulnerable we are. He knows how hard it is to reject a smiling, handsome person who talks about God and and says many wonderful things from the Bible. And how difficult it is for us to get up close and to discern what's being left out and what's not being taught. Oh God, many people will wake up in judgment and wonder how they got there because they followed somebody who seemed so sincere and so gracious and so kind. And Lord Jesus, how hard it is apart from you and the clarity of your word to be discerning. I pray, Lord, today for our church. I pray for every leader in our congregation. I pray that they would want to be judged in their character by the standards of the Beatitudes. I pray that they would say, my life is an open book. Measure me by this kind of follower of Christ. And then I pray, O Father, that we would ever be vigilant. Is the truth really coming from this pulpit? Is it really being taught in the classroom? Are we really being led as sinful people to an all-sufficient Savior who alone is adequate to save us and to lead us. Today, Lord Jesus, thank you that you are our great shepherd. You have promised to protect us. May you give us leaders who do the very same as they follow you. 
For Jesus' sake we pray. And all God's people said together,